Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's Bible study is entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Lesson 7. All right, good evening. Welcome to our, I think this is our seventh, yes, seventh installment. And uh, we have been considering some pretty serious topics together. And where do we go from here? And um, good, really good stuff. Again, very grateful for Dr. Jeremiah, David Jeremiah and his ministry. And uh, highly recommend his stuff. And uh, recommend it so well that I'm preaching it. How about that? That's pretty good. That's pretty flattering, I think. I mean, I don't know, as a preacher. So we're going to be a lot of places in the scripture uh, tonight, mostly on the screen. Hey, even the back screen works. Hey, what do you know? Uh, so we'll, we're going to hold our breath and uh, move forward. Let's, let's pray together and ask God's blessing on our study. God, we are dependent upon you for everything. Uh, we're dependent upon you for life, um, for hope, for truth. God, if, if you don't lead us into truth, if you don't tell us where we're wrong, and if we don't respond to you, we, there is no hope for us. We have no way to get out of error, no way to get out of uh, the lies that the world feeds us. So God, we ask, as we have asked in this series, that you would open our eyes. Help us to assimilate these things, help them put them together uh, in such a way that you'd be glorified, but, but also, Lord, that we would be uh, ready uh, to do what we're supposed to do, to be prepared for the world, the new world that we live in, ready to address it and be the disciples you've called us to be in it. Bless our time now, open our eyes, teach us the things you want us to know. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So when actor Benedict Cumberpatch, you know who that guy is? That guy right there, that guy. Uh, if you saw, you've seen him in, he's in the Avengers, he's in all kinds of things, but uh, he played the role of uh, Greville Wynn in the movie The Courier. Anybody see that? It's an actual true story, based on a true story of this English businessman that became a spy, MI6, basically hired him, and uh, he was a businessman who was doing business with Russia during the Cold War. And uh, they used him as a courier to, to take top secret messages from a uh, spy that they had embedded in Russia who was going to bring. He never saw the messages, never was involved. In all, all he had to do was just pick something up, take it across the border or take it in a plane back to England. He did this for years and years and years as the story goes, a true story. Uh, he was eventually captured, uh, placed in jail for a number of years. Uh, the Soviets were going to kill him, but they didn't. They, they released him. Part of, part of him acting the part of the movie was that he had to starve himself because they, this, this guy, uh, Mr. Wynn, they threw him in jail and put him on a, on a starvation diet, literally bread and water for months and months and months. And so he lost a tremendous amount of weight. So to look the part, he couldn't look, you know, healthy like he does there. So he went for several weeks. They took a break and the crew took a break and he had to go through this harsh diet emaciating himself. Uh, for that portion of the movie, and it was very brutal according to his experience. He said it was, what was amazing about it wasn't just that he was hungry, but how it messed with his mind. Just couldn't think straight. It became very um, unnaturally emotional, very unnaturally uh, just like psychotic. And of course, you know, I mean, you put your body on a diet, 
you know, your brain goes on a diet as well. So the in, in, incapable of being the person that he was, not just physically, but also emotionally, psychologically, he thought it was really, it was very interesting. Uh, have you noticed that we live in a world that's sort of like that? What I mean is kind of losing their minds. Uh, there's a reason for that. There's many reasons, but I think the main reason is, is that our world is on a diet. Uh, and not a physical diet like he went through. We live in a generation that is literally famished and starved for the truth. They don't know it anymore. As they say, have you noticed that uh, common sense isn't common anymore? That makes it not common. The day that we were raised in where people knew certain things, you could just assume certain things from certain people. Those days are over. We don't have them anymore. What happened to this common truth? It's now become rare truth, and there's very few of us. We were having a discussion today in our deacons meeting, talking about the, you know, the average male in our, not the average, probably every last one of them in our deacons meetings are kind of oddballs. We were raised in church. We were raised knowing the Bible, uh, raised very traditionally, very conservatively, but the average person that we're trying to reach is not like us. They don't think like us. They don't approach life like us. Most of us have been saved the majority of our lives. Average person you're trying to reach, they're not like that. They don't have that background. Uh, what, what's, what's happened to us? And not to say that there's always been people like that, but it seems like they're the majority now. And a person, an oddball like me, let's just say, is very much a minority in every sense of the word. So what we're experiencing is something the Bible has said would happen all along. And that is a famine of the truth. Famine of the truth. Now, logically, you would think, how are things going to get worse unless the truth is disavowed? Well, yeah, that's true. So how does that work? And a very vivid prophecy we have of that. When was the last time you read the book of Amos? Amos is an interesting guy. I like Amos because he's a redneck. Uh, Amos is sent to prophesy in the northern kingdom of, of Israel, but he's actually from the southern kingdom. In fact, Bethlehem was a tiny little spot in the middle of nowhere, and he was from a suburb of Bethlehem called Tekoa. Tekoa is even further out into the wilderness. And he was untrained, unschooled, had no bloodline as a prophet or a preacher. Originally, he was a shepherd, a fruit picker by trade. He sort of has a homespun message. You look at the stuff that he says, and he's just kind of, he just says it like it is. So I'll show you a couple of his couple of his verses here. First of all, just the way he presents himself. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God. Just straight up. Get ready to meet God, because here he comes. And they didn't like it, so he goes up to the northern kingdom, preaches. The king at that time was a king by the name of Amaziah, and he preaches to Amaziah, and Amaziah basically tells him to go home. Look, Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread, and there, you know, go preach your stuff somewhere else. Never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. It's a place where things are quiet. We don't need any harsh words in a place like this. He's given him the truth, and the king says, we don't need that here. And it is the royal residence. So he says, go away. And so Amos makes this statement about what happens when you make a choice like that. So he's giving you the truth and you don't want the truth and you continue to reject the truth. Well, God can uh, accommodate you in that, unfortunately. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, 
but of hearing the words of the Lord, very much a devastating famine. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north, north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. How? How is it possible for a people, these were biblical people, they had Bibles, it was scrolls, but they had Bibles. How would it be impossible to find the scrolls? I mean, obviously God can hide them. Or is it speaking of something different, not just a famine in the sense of, hey, we're super hungry, we'd like to have it, but a famine in the sense of it's self-inflicted. We don't want it anymore. We're going to see the answer to that here in just a second. Famine unlike anything else, early stages of it, uh, the, the hearing famine, if you will, of our land, of our world, I believe we're in. You look into these statements that are similar here in Ezekiel and other places. Destruction comes. They will seek peace. There shall be none. Disaster will come upon disaster. Rumor will be upon rumor. Well, you go to Facebook, right? <laughs> they will seek a vision from prophet. But the law will perish from the priests and counsel from the elders. How is that possible? Seems like we're in these days. Micah 3. You shall have night without vision. You shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. So God's not speaking. In fact, he's, his truth is not getting put out there. How, how does that happen? It feels like, like I said, we're in these days that they're starting already. People running back and forth and trying to find their significance, what their significance might be, trying to find satisfaction. Lost their appetite for the truth. Don't know what's wrong with them. They just know they can't figure out life, and so life has become distressed, and, and they've become distressed. and They've turned their subject to, into subjective truth, which immediately shows its flaws. My, I have a truth, and you have a truth, and our truth don't have to agree, and this whole uh, crazy idea. What's happened with that? Uh, they're into positive vibes. Heard that. I'll send positive vibes. What is that? Positive vibes? What's that going to do for you? Positive mental attitude, motivational training. Our churches have resorted, resorted to gimmicks to get people to church. Throw these big extravaganzas. I mean, not that necessarily that's wrong, but if that's all you're doing, you're not waiting for God to move people. What are we doing? What's going on? It's not because there's not enough Bibles. In fact, in most places in the world, uh, we have a, a, a virtual army of Bible translators that have been going for decades now. Uh, to, to the tune of, well, think about this. There are more than 1,500 languages today that have at least the New Testament uh, available in their own language. That's almost to the very last language that we have on the planet. That's amazing. Past hundred years. Uh, like I said, a virtual army of missionaries and translation groups focusing, and today focusing on the 1.6 billion that still don't have the entire Bible in their language, but still around 6 billion, around 6 billion people have access to a Bible in their own language of the 7.6 billion that we have. That is phenomenal. So on the one hand, we have at least available the most truth we've ever had. On the other hand, people don't want it. What's happening? So we have a famine, but we have a ton of food. How is that possible? That's crazy. And that's, that's kind of where we are today. God's Word has never been so accessible, uh, whether by paper, by phone, by 
uh, internet, however, we're just a click away from it. So how is this famine, how, how is it possible that we have a famine of the hearing of the Word of God? And maybe that's the best way to understand it. We're not hearing it anymore. Not that we lack the Word of God, it's everywhere, every house has one. But uh, we, don't, we don't hear it anymore, it's self-inflicted. Spiritual hunger works just exactly the opposite of physical hunger. So I'm not physically hungry anymore because I went over there and stuffed myself. In fact, I had a hard time speaking because that was good. Thanks, whoever brought those, that stuff. It was awesome. And then Deacon's meeting, we had uh, Porky's Pit. So I'm just, I'm going to lay down up here in case, you know, take a little nap. There's a little siesta up here for a little bit. Exactly the opposite of physical hunger is spiritual hunger. So if I'm physically hungry and I eat, my hunger goes away. If I'm spiritually hungry and I eat the truth, I get more hungry. It's the opposite. And the, and the reverse is true. If I'm physically hungry and I do not eat, I become famished. Eat a, eat a, eat a horse and chase the rider, you know, kind of, kind of hunger. But if I get spiritually hungry and I do not eat, I lose my appetite. It's different. It's different. I lose the desire and the t- taste for it. Suppose you lost your appetite for the Word of God. What do you do? Force feed. That's how do you fix yourself? Force feed yourself. Make yourself do it. Don't wait till you feel, about, feel good about it. Make yourself get up and do it. Rekindle the desire. Again, how do I rekindle my appetite? By feeding myself. If I feed myself, I will become even more hungry for spiritual things. In reality, our hearts are easily drawn away from God. We, we just are. Uh, from his word, because we have the forces that work against us. We have a force that works against us inside of us, our, our spiritual nature, our, our, our dead uh, spiritual nature. Uh, we have an entity that works against us, the devil. We have a system that works against us, the world. We have so many things against us. So it's easy for us to fall out of the desire for the scriptures. If we drift, it, we, don't never, we never drift towards, you never drift on course, right? <laughs> you drift off course. You get off. You never fall into anything good. You drift into compromise, drift into disobedience, into superstition, into godlessness. Uh, nothing actually falls into place. You have to make it go in place. If it falls, it falls out of line out of place, out of sync, out of rhythm, out of order. It's just the way things are because we live in this wicked world. You fall into sin and disobedience. It's, if you do, it's like falling off a log. It's one of the easiest things you'll ever do, fall into sin and disobedience. It's just like, that's natural for us. But to get into obedience and faithfulness to God will be the hardest thing that you've ever done. So it's, it's an uphill battle. It's a constant battle for us. So what does this mean? How does this fit into this apocalyptic scenario that the Bible lays out for the coming days? We've been looking at some pretty uh, monumental trends, socialism, uh, the pandemic, uh, globalism, uh, money and commerce, the the tremendous uh, tidal wave of problems that are coming with that, apostasy uh, last time, cancel culture. Uh, How does this famine of the truth fit into all of it. Well, it's sort of like the blood, the life blood that's going to push these kind of things. Well, like I said, logically, it has to happen. How, how can we still follow the truth and have the truth in our hearts and these kind of things come apart? Well, no, hand in glove is going to be this whole issue of, of this famine of the truth. 
this monumental thing that's going to be taking place in the last days. And so to appreciate how serious this is, the spiritual family that's coming, we need to go deeper into its implications. What's happening in our culture today? What's happening in our lives today? Uh, number one, our heritage is being lost. Uh, Psalm 61, 5, the psalmist speaks of this uh, a privileged heritage. I have one of those. You have been, you've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. I was raised in a family of deacons and of pastors and of committed people. I mean, go way, way, way back. People in my hometown, my, my, uh, my family, and my, of course my parents were very much committed people and not hypocrites and very faithful to the Lord. How, how is it though, and, and, and I was raised in a culture, and I don't know how it was where you're from, but in Southeast Texas, everybody went to church, whether Christians or not. Everybody knew Psalm 23. Most of us knew the Roman road. Does anybody, do you know what that is? A lot of us don't even know what that is anymore. It was like you, John 3.16. I mean, I think right after, right after birth, they, like in the incubator, they started telling us John 3.16. It's a heritage, beautiful heritage. I'm not complaining at all. In fact, I'm very grateful for that. But it was, I thought everybody was like that. Like I said, small town East Texas, for the most part, they were. Not all of them Christians. But they had this great heritage that they were raised with. They, we were raised with the stories of the missionaries, raised with the stories of the martyrs, raised with the stories of, of the history of the church the past 2,000 years. Where is all that today? What's, what's, what's happening with our heritage? What's happening in our culture? Uh, Raise knowing the Lord's Prayer. Raise knowing John 3, 16. We're losing this. It's coming out of our culture. It's what we used to be. I mean, Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, we all, to a certain degree, learned similar things. Anymore? We don't know this anymore. Our generations are growing up without any of this kind of heritage. So we're losing our heritage. Our theology is getting watered down. It's easy, very easy for churches to become malnourished because of this spiritual famine that's among us. And we went, I went to a very good seminary, very conservative seminary, very, very good teachers, very good uh, professors, but I was not taught expositional Bible teaching there. Just wasn't taught it because it had become, it had fallen out of vogue, let's just say that. You go back 50 years before that same seminary, you didn't leave there without solid understanding of how important expositional Bible teaching is. Expositional Bible teaching, in case you don't know, it's just verse by verse, line by line. Today, the thing to do is to teach topically. I go to this topic and this topic and this topic, and I talk about that, what happens this morning. See, Bible was not written topically. The Bible is written verse by verse, line by line. It's like, I write you a letter, and I want you to read it to your family. You just go through and pick topics. You don't read the whole letter. You don't read it in the order that I wrote it. I'm going to have a problem with you. I wanted you to read the whole thing to them. It's a message from me to them. You're just going to pick out topics? See, now it's become, it's become your letter, hasn't it? Not my letter anymore. That's what we're doing to the Scriptures. I wasn't taught that. I had to learn that on my own by God's grace. Uh, uh, popular preaching, I said, is, is topical, whereas real spiritual nourishment comes line by line. All the Word of God for all the people of God. And sermonettes from preacherettes create Christianettes. That's what we got. A lot of Christianettes going out there, and a lot of responsibility comes from, or it falls on the feet of those in the pulpit. Barna Research published a finding 
conclusion concerning several indices in, our re in their research, one of the conclusions of 2020, at 20, in 2020, was that American churches are undergoing what they called a post-Christian reformation. A post-Christian reformation, they define it this way, people are still calling themselves Christians, but they don't hold biblical principles anymore. So I'm a Christian, but homosexuality isn't a sin. That's a post-Christian position. I'm a Christian, but it's okay to live together, not be married. It's not biblical. It's post-Christian. Again, that's, that's where we are today. A large numbers of those who call themselves Christians hold basically unbiblical doctrines. They think it's fine. They don't have a problem with it. They seemingly don't know the difference. Either haven't been taught or they've chosen to ignore it. Uh, if I don't have an understanding of the Bible as the Word of God, and it alone is the doctrine and direction and sole authority, then I can be, I'm susceptible to anything. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us what happens to us if we're not correctly taught. It lays the responsibility, by the way, at, mostly at the, at the preachers and teachers. It says he equipped those to, uh, at preachers and teachers in order that they may equip the church, to equip his people for the works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. That is our goal. What is, what is, what is discipleship? That. We all grow up, not be children. That's what he calls us if we're not. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants. Actually, that's what he calls us. Babies. Better be a baby Christian than an adult, I don't know, Satan worshiper for sure. But there's problems with that if all you do is stay a baby. Tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men, of people, I'm sorry, in their deceitful scheming. That's what happens when we don't mature in the Word. That's what happens when we're not taught the truth. Today, according to Barna, 52% of evangelicals do not believe in objective moral truth. 52%. We're not talking about the nasty Catholics, right, Joe? We're talking about the evangelicals. At Catholic, Baptist, it doesn't matter. No Bible, no truth. You start falling into these strange understandings of things. No objective truth. It's all subjective. It's just what I think is right. You decide what you think is right. There is no truth outside of you and I that's objective that says this is the way it is and it doesn't change. 52% of evangelicals. Majority of the people in America who go to church do not know the Bible, do not read the Bible, do not understand basic doctrines, cannot explain the gospel to anyone. Church every Sunday. It's where we are. It's a bad thing. Trying to reach resistant audiences, we've gone too far compromising physical truth and teaching. That's only part of our, part of our issue. Our Bibles are being overlooked. Mark Twain defined a literary classic as a book that people praise but never read. That's the Bible. We've never had more Bibles in the world today, than, I mean, in the world than we do today. But we don't read it. We don't know what it says. We're not encouraged to read it, largely. China recently, just, just to see just cultures and the way things are going, China recently has banned the buying of all Bibles, both on, in stores and online. Of course, they, they regularly do that. 
With the USA, the Gideons are running into more and more pushback about distributing Bibles in our, our hotels, just, just, to te just testing the temperature of our, of our nation here and our culture here in the West. Gideons have a very hard time. Only 48% of hotels now allow the Gideons to place Bibles. I was in a hotel recently, my wife and I, we were traveling, and I opened the, opened the drawer, there's a Book of Mormon in there. I opened it up and it said in the front page, this is for you. So I took it and I put it in the garbage. Well, it was mine. I didn't want it anymore. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe that's wrong. I don't think it is, though. I think I was doing my doing my job. But but uh, you know. But so so we, that's the kind of that's where we are today. Whereas that would have been you know, 20 years ago, even 25, 30 years ago, uh, you would have never seen that. We're changing. It is changing. Our spiritual appetite is being ruined. The reason for the coming and pending spiritual famine is we've lost our appetites. We ruined them. How do you ruin your appetite? Mom says, don't fill in the blank, or you'll ruin your appetite. What? Eat candy, eat bread, eat stuff you shouldn't be eating. We're gorging or being, being fed a lot of garbage. And so that when the, the real food comes by, the real spiritual food comes by, we don't want it. That's what's happening. That's what's happening in our culture. We're losing our taste. More and more people have a total distaste for the Scriptures. I mean, it's like a child spitting out carrots. He doesn't want it. He doesn't like the way it tastes. He's got to be trained, and he hasn't been. And so our culture is spitting out their, their carrots, if you will, and their peas. Uh, we're starting to hear the Bible being called hate speech. You should expect more of it. Saddest and scariest part is, is that if we push God away enough, he'll stay away. Just like Amos says. So here's what's going to happen. You don't want me to preach the truth to you. There's going to come a day in which you're going to wish you had it, but it won't be available. Common, common sense will not be common. It won't be able to be found anymore. It just becomes scarce, uh, becomes non-existent. Uh, we imperceptibly go into a spiritual drought day by day, month by month. When we see ourselves in this walking from a place and saying, when was the last God, God spoke to me? When was the last time I read the Scriptures faithfully? Again, how do you get back to that? Force feed yourself. The way you get an appetite is you make yourself eat. Push yourself back into it. Maybe it's disobedience that God is waiting for you to do. Unconfessed sin definitely will make you lose your appetite. Definitely will. Definitely. But we can stay healthy even on a large-scale large spiritual famine. Look at what Paul says uh, to Timothy. Timothy chapter 4. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of the faith, of faith, nourished, and of good doctrine, which you have carefully followed, but reject profane and old wise fables, and exercise yourself towards godliness. You've got to make yourself do it. Have you noticed that? Your body doesn't just get up without you in the morning and go exercise. Neither does your spiritual body. You've got to make him go. Make him learn. I don't feel like it. Well, that's even more reason you need to go do it. You have spiritual aches and pains. You know, Make yourself get up there and go because it doesn't get easier. Uh, we, we can stay healthy. We can, we can do this. So where do we go? Where do we go from here? Peter writes two letters for us. One of which, the last one he writes, right not long before his execution. By this time, he's an older man. He's been in ministry for a long time, having walked with Jesus for the three years of his earthly ministry. 
And uh, he's been serving as a missionary, he's been serving as an apostle, serving all over the world, all over the known world. And he writes the book of Second Peter with some emphasis, and that emphasis is largely trying to remind people, don't forget, don't forget, look at, look at his words here in Second Peter. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle in both of which I stir you up for the pure minds for the way of a remi- by way of a reminder. Listen, he's reminding you. You may be mindful, there's a similar word, of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment. So he's about to check out. He knows it. So say, well, no, wait. before I leave, I just want to remind you of what I taught you and what were taught to you by the apostles and how important it is that you remember these things. The apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. So there's uh, forgetfulness that's coming. He's concerned about that. Scoffers that are coming, rightfully, he's, he's concerned about that. Uh, so, so what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, I'm going to give you four things. Number one, be burdened. Be burdened. You hear the burden in Peter's? voice. He, he knows he's going to die. In fact, he's glad to do it. But he's not burdened for that. He's burdened for who he's going to be leaving behind. Who's going to take up the, the mantle? Who's going to move forward with this? Who, who's going to hold on to this? Because we're only one generation for forgetting this stuff. So I want to remind you. I want to remind you there's scoffers. There's going to be problems that are going to come. There's issues that are coming. As, as long as he lived, he never lost his burden to get the word out and to see others do the same. Uh, he, he was one of, one of the keys to being burdened is something that's mentioned here in Second Peter about uh, Lot. He says, Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. He was in Sodom and Gomorrah, if you don't know. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing the lawless deeds. It's that kind of torment that makes us burdened for the people that don't know the truth. Till we're tormented from the lawlessness of the world, we won't do much about it. Won't be moved to action. Peter is moved to action because he's burdened for them. And burden starts with us. Starts inside of us. I don't do anything about the truth until I first realize, hey, there's a real problem out here. Got to take care of myself, feed myself before I can teach a world uh, how to eat. So number one, be, be burdened. Number two, be students. Says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Learn to love it. Make yourself eat it. Make yourself desire it. Read it. It will flush out of you the bad desires. It will turn you in the direction of the good desires. Learn to crave it. Start with reading the Bible because you know you have to. You know you should. You're not doing it, why aren't you? Not because there aren't Bibles. We know that. They're everywhere. They're cheap. There are 15 versions on your phone for a free app. You can get it. You can, you can have it. If you don't have one, it's your fault. Start only doing out of what, you know, first you do it out of discipline, and then you will learn to do it out of desire. Be a student. There's no excuse for not being a student. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for what? They shall be what? Filled. You got to want it, you see. Hunger for it. God will fill you. He will. So be burdened. 
Be students. And here's a, here's a big one. Be shepherds. You really want to be concerned about our world? Learn to be a shepherd. First Peter chapter 5. Of course, Peter is an apostle. He was a pastor. He was an overseer. And he instructs the shepherds and overseers, pastors. That way, shepherd is another word for pastor. We don't translate that word. It's a Latin word. It actually just means shepherd. You call, it, you call me pastor, you're calling me shepherd. So you're calling yourself a sheep. So I'm going to get out my big stick and, you know, whack you. <laughs> shepherd the flock, he says, telling the people that he's writing to in First Peter. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Another word for pastor is overseer. So you're shepherding them, you're overseeing them. Not by compulsion, but willingly, not by dishonest gain for evil. No, you're doing it from the heart because you love people. You want to see them come to the truth. You want to see them follow the truth. You want to see them disciple. Now, the, this position that Peter's speaking directly to is a position that is, uh, shall we say, special. Official, the official office and title of pastor reserved for very few, and they're always male. And some people disagree with that, and they've got a right to be wrong. So, so, but, but the position of pastor is unnecessary in order to be a pastor. Hear me on this. So pastoring or shepherding is a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It's a gift. So, so let's, let's take the other gifts as an example. So I don't have the gift of service. I don't have to serve then, right? Wrong. I don't have the gift of giving. I don't have to give then, right? The, the, gift, the givers give. I'm not a giver. So I'm free, free to go, right? Wrong. So I, hear me. I'm not a pastor. I don't have to shepherd. Wrong. 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 Again, the gift is not gender specific. The title and position is. But the gift is not. Definitely not. And even if you're not technically gifted in shepherding, doesn't exempt you from doing that. We're responsible for people. We need to make ourselves responsible. You know the truth? You're responsible to give that to somebody. Shepherd them. Disciple them. Care about what does a shepherd do? Cares for them. Looks out for them. Watches out for them. Sheep are dumb. Got to have a shepherd. So, whoa, 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 don't go that way. That's not a good direction there, sweetie. Turn around. Let me show you. Let me help you. Great responsibility and burden, but it takes serious preparation. It takes a person submitted to the Holy Spirit, the, the ultimate shepherd, right? Shepherding us before we can be a shepherd toward anybody else. You cannot shepherd with your own words or opinions. You have to shepherd from his words. So you got to know what the word is first. Where you can give it out. So, so we take responsibility. Maybe, maybe my congregation is not but one. It's okay. Great. Takes one to win one, right? Got to do it. Have to be well fed, though, before you can feed anyone else. So, so be burdened. Be students. Be shepherds. The world needs shepherds. We are all sheep, right? Whether we're in the church or out of the church. The only thing worse than being a sheep, well, I shouldn't say that. It's great being a sheep under the shepherdship of God, isn't it? It's an awesome thing because he's your shepherd. He guides you. He takes care of you. He wrangles his sheep. He gets them from one place to the other. All the glory goes to him. What about those guys out there in a land full of wolves, and there they have no shepherd. No one takes care of them. No one watch out for them, not submitted to anybody. Wow, they really need our help. We have to take that burden and responsibility. So, so be burdened, be students, be shepherds, be evangelistic. Notice again Peter here speaking of what that evangelism is. 
It's a born-again message. It's a born-again message. It's not a turn over a new leaf. It's not a come-to-church message, not to say that you shouldn't invite them to church. It's not a do better next time. It's a born-again message. You have to be transformed. You need to meet the Savior. It's a born-again message. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God. So you're not going to lead anybody to Christ apart from the ingestion of the Word of God. You've got to force, some, in some ways, force feed them. Which lives and abides forever, which all, because all flesh is of the grass, and all glory of man is of the flowers of the grass. And the grass withers and the flowers fall, fall away, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the Word by which, by the Gospel, was preached to you. The word which by the gospel was preached to you. He says, preach this. So it's a born-again message. Uh, it's also a message that we have to give an account for. We have to be able to tell our story. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense for anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. We've had a great opportunity these past two years. We've had a lot of people I mean, our world has been wringing its hands, scared to death. Where darker things get, the best, the best time there is to shine. Why could you go through this and not be afraid to die? Give them an answer. They need an answer. Well, I don't know the Bible that well. Okay, but know it. You know your testimony, don't you? Tell us why you have such faith in Christ. Tell us. Be able to tell your world. Ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you, to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. We don't shove things down people's throats. We don't clobber them over the head. And keep a good conscience so that in the, the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage you for your good behavior uh, in Christ will be put to shame. So, so not just carrying a message of sanctification, but living a life of sanctification. So Christ I'm set apart my heart, not just in the word, not just in the way I think, but it's in the way I act. Because why would they act to, why would they ask to be like you if you're just like them? It doesn't make any sense. Sanctify Christ. The way to banish spiritual famine is one person at a time. And that's how it works. One at a time. You meeting someone else, them meeting someone else. That's the way it works. In other words, where we're headed, though, we're headed is where we are today. Uh, we must teach and preach the Word of God because the famine has definitely started. It definitely has. So we're going to stop right there. Questions? An oddball at Deacon's meeting, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fact, though. You know, it's, it's something that we have to face up to. But like I also said at the deacons' meeting, y'all can't go to deacons' meetings, so we'll tell you what happened. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about all of you. We always do. We always pray for all of you. But we talked about the fact that we can't continue to minister to people like us. Because we talk about building the built church building because I, I don't care what the church building looks like, I'm going to go. But that's the way I was raised. I, find, I go anywhere, I find a church. Well, it's Sunday. What are we going to do? We're going to church. Uh, uh, I don't care what the paint looks like. I don't care what the buildings look like. I don't care. None of those things matter. But we live in a culture today where a lot of those things matter to them because they weren't raised like us. They don't think like us. 
Uh, we can't compromise the truth in any way, but we have to do our best to reach out to them to show them, hey, this is a place where you need to be. Something you need to understand. They don't have to put on any kind of big uh, smoke and mirror show for me at all to go to church. But wow, our world anymore, uh, you have to really go to them and uh, speak to them. So yeah, being an oddball is, is being an oddball, that's for sure. Something else? Yes, sir, Johnny? So, in, in today's time, can you, uh, which you probably already did, but can you uh, give a definition of, of famine? It's, it's a, I mean, like, like I said, it's a, it's a famine for the word. But the, the problem about it is, is that if, if it's a famine for food, everybody knows they're hungry. I don't have to tell people, there's, hey, we're running low on food. No, you don't have to tell people that. They know it. Their stomach's telling them that. I'm hungry. But a famine for the Word is the exact opposite. They're hungry. You don't even know it. In fact, the, the less they eat, the less appetite that they have. So, so they're dying, and they're, they have no natural tendency to fix it. Whereas if I'm dying from physical, lack of physical food, oh, you get to the place where you'll, you know, like I said, kill a horse and chase the rider, you know. You'll make it. You'll find a way. You're going to find food somewhere, but uh, the spiritual famine is a lot more dangerous because when you get into it, you don't care that you are, uh, and so it's a really dangerous spot to be. So, something else? Yes, sir. What's the best answer for spiritual famine? How do you help? What do you do? Well, like I said, it starts with a burden for ourselves first of all. I, I got to feed myself first. And then, and then I need to find people. Say, hey, would you like to join me in a Bible study? Would you like to know what the Bible has to say about our world today? And, and it takes a burden for them. They said their lost sheep don't know they're lost. They're under the influence of de you know, very deadly wolves. Don't know they are. And so I have to have the shepherd's heart in me that says, hey, let me help you. Would you give me some time in your life? Can we talk about spiritual, how would you like to talk about spiritual things? And, uh, and you have to be upfront with them about that. And, of course, they're going to say, some are going to say no. That needs to be okay. Um, keep moving, keep praying, keep asking God for opportunities, using the opportunities that God gives us. Sometimes the opportunity is just to brief something brief. Sometimes it's protracted. We get opportunities and neighbors and people that we're going to know for a long time. Whatever opportunity God gives us, we have to take it. Don't know what kind of link we are in the chain that's going to bring someone to Christ. So, short answer, but yeah. Something else? Perfectly clear? Good. So let's pray. God, I thank you for those who cared enough to reach out to us. I thank you for a spiritual heritage, God, uh, that most of us here, many of us here, are great benefactors of, and uh, so much benefits that we receive from those who were so faithful to us. But now, Lord, as we uh, step out into a new world where people don't have what we have, teach us, God, to reach people that are different than us. Teach us, God, help us, God, to have a burden for them. Help us, God, first of all, to have a burden for ourselves to, to make sure that we are well-fed, well-nourished, 
so that your word is in us, that your word is flowing through us, so, so that we can have and, and be tormented by the world that's around us, uh, to be evangelists, to be shepherds, to be what you've called us to be. Thank you, God, for this series. Again, God, we pray that you would stick it in our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.